Revolutions Per Minute is a weekly radio show from the New York City chapter of the Democratic Socialists of America, recorded live at WBAI 99.5 FM in Brooklyn every Tuesday at 7 p.m. RPM is about doing the work, the work to build a democratic socialist future. Each week, hear the latest news, analysis, and organizing experience from the minds and hearts of activists fighting every day in New York City. Join the movement at socialists.nyc. Hey, what's up, New York City? It's Amy Wilson. You're listening to Revolutions Per Minute live on WBAI. We're a socialist radio show and podcast from members of the New York City Democratic Socialists of America. The Democratic Socialists of America is the largest socialist organization in the United States with 95,000 members nationwide. New York City DSA is our biggest chapter. We are run by our 9,000 plus members and organizers who are working together to build democratic socialism in all five boroughs. Once again, my name is Amy Wilson. My pronouns are she, her. I'm a worker and organizer, and I'm thrilled to be with you here on Revolutions Per Minute tonight. Drag is an art with deep roots in New York City's queer communities of color that has much to offer to all people who are interested in liberating themselves from traditional and patriarchal ideas of gender. That's part of why it's become a target of the organized far right, both here in NYC and nationally, with public libraries and other community venues facing protests over their regularly offered drag performances and story hours. Local politicians have also experienced far-right threats for merely expressing support for drag. On tonight's edition of Revolutions Per Minute, we're live with Drag Story Hour NYC storyteller Oliver and organizer and parent Desiree to discuss the many aspects of drag and how New Yorkers have come together to reject the far-right threat and show the beauty and power of queer community. We'll be taking your calls later in the show, so please listen out for that and join our conversation. But first, the headlines with Jack Devine. Yo, what's good, New York? This is Jack Devine with the weekly headlines brought to you by The Thorn. In local news, the State Senate Judiciary Committee rejected Governor Kathy Hochul's Court of Appeals nominee, Hector LaSalle, voting 10 to 9 not to advance him to a floor vote. Now the governor is reportedly considering all her options, including potentially suing the Senate to force a vote of the full Senate. The Daily Beast reported on why Hochul chose to expend so much political capital on a fight she never seemed likely to win. Both Hochul and Mayor Eric Adams are calling for budget cuts at a time of rising tax revenues. Adams' budget cut calls for the elimination of over 4,300 unfilled city jobs. New Yorker released an extensive report on Mayor Adams' relationship with Pastor Lamar Whitehead, who was recently arrested on federal fraud charges. Ed Mullins, the former head of the Sergeant Benevolent Association, one of NYPD's most powerful unions, pleaded guilty to stealing members' dues. Over 1,200 unlicensed cannabis stores have opened up over the past couple years, undercutting the recent arrival of licensed weed stores and causing some in the government to call for heavier regulation and even criminalization. The city's eviction rate, as well as homelessness, continues to spike as pandemic-era protections for renters expire. Councilmember Lincoln Ressler, District 33, Williamsburg, proposed a set of bills that would prohibit city workers from taking a lobbying job with any part of the city government for two years. 
After nurses at two private hospitals won additional staffing protections, nurses at the city's public hospitals are calling for the same protections, although they cannot legally strike. In elections news, Mayor Adams raised 428000 in the last six months, giving him over $1 million in cash for his re-election campaign, which is over two years away. This is in addition to over 920000 he currently expects to receive in public matching funds. Assemblymember Inez Dickens has an early fundraising advantage over City Council Member Kristen Richardson-Jordan for this year's City Council Primary, District 9, Harlem. The City Council passed a law mandating a public disclosures on spending meant to influence voting on ballot referendums. Senator Kristen Jolbrand announced she is running for a third term in 2024. She has $4.4 million in her campaign account. Now back to regular scheduled programming. Thank you, Jack. Our headlines are brought to you by The Thorn, an incredible weekly newsletter by New York City DSA's electoral working group covering local politics and radical activism. You can subscribe at thethornnyc.substack.com. Now let's turn to tonight's live guests on Revolutions Per Minute, Oliver and Desiree. I'd love to hear a little bit more about each of you, starting with you, Oliver. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what brought you to your current role as a storyteller at Drag Story Hour NYC? Yeah, hello everyone. Um, thank you so much for having me. My name's Oliver H. My pronouns are they and he, and I am a drag king and storyteller with Drag Story Hour NYC. Um, I started in my role at Story Hour, I wanna say about two years ago at this point, they had released a kind of casting call for pushing for members of the drag community that were not drag queens because we wanted to really capture the entirety of the drag community within our organization. So that's when I began to work for Drag Story Hour. I'm a drag king. And yeah, I was a, a daycare teacher for a long time and I've always worked with kids. So this felt like the natural next step for me. Wonderful. We're so glad to have you on tonight's show. Really looking forward to hearing more about your work. But first, let's hear more from tonight's other live panelist, our very own Desiree Joy Frias. Desiree, you're known to listeners of Revolutions Per Minute as a host and contributor to our show. But anybody who knows you knows that you wear about a dozen hats. So can you tell us um, why you're here tonight and what brought? what's your connection to this topic? Hey, everybody. My name is Desiree. I use she, her pronouns. And Yes, thank you so much, Amy, for that introduction. Um, I have been working with Revolutions Per Minute for the last two years, but I also became a mom. Um, and as a mom, I really want to make sure that my son is in community with all of his neighbors, um, and especially in community with my queer community. Um, so I attend Drag Story Hours with my child, and I also uh, organize Drag Story Defense. Um, and through that work, I've gotten to meet not just Oliver and the other performers, but a large swath of my neighbors. If you're just tuning in, this is Revolutions Per Minute on listener-sponsored WBAI in New York City, broadcasting at 99.5 FM. We are the show of the New York City Democratic Socialists of America, and today we're live talking about drag story hours and community defense. So let's uh, get some of the basics out here first. For those who may not be familiar with this program that's pretty commonly offered in New York City libraries these days. Oliver, as a storyteller, can you tell us a little bit about the organization itself, 
How long has it been serving the city? How did it come to be? And what type of programs do you provide? Yeah, absolutely. So Drag Story Hour NYC um, is an organization that provides literacy and arts-based programming to community centers, libraries, and schools, um, and just to communities in general throughout the five boroughs of New York City. And Story Hour originally was born out of um, story hours that were taking place in San Francisco in California, but people started to notice and recognize the need within New York City to have similar story hours. So uh, folks here in New York City began to communicate with folks over in San Francisco and brought to fruition bringing story hour here. Um, and that's where it really began. So the first um, Drag Story Hour NYC's first story hour event happened in August of 2016. So, um, I can't do math, but se about seven years ago now. Um, and initially, Drag Story Hour was called Drag Queen Story Hour NYC. And we recently, within the past two years, removed the word queen from our name to respond to a need coming from the rest of our community because that was not really representative of the drag community as a whole. I am really heavily involved in the New York City scene of drag in general, especially in adult and nightlife spaces. and there's kings, there's queens, there's non-binary performers, there's things, there's everyone in between. So we really saw that and wanted to represent that in our programming because we're talking about teaching um, communities and families what drag is, what that art form is. Um, having a queen in our name was really excluding a lot of people within this community. Um, but we, as an organization, we provide our signature programming of story hours, we provide story hours uh, for the neurodiverse community. We provide custom programs. We have bilingual programming. We have French, Spanish, and Cantonese story hours. And as well, as we also have makeup tutorials that we'll give and reading with royalty, which is our middle school program where we will come in and uh, talk about longer um, novels about similar topics but really bring it up to that middle school age range. I also really love the videos for the senior citizen um, party. <laughs> you had a party with our elders yeah. at a queer senior citizen center. Yeah, yeah we also provide um, programming with senior citizens. Um, I don't know specifically if that was story, a story hour event, but um, we did have some folks from story hour which attended. So for those of us who have not had the chance to go to a drag story hour, maybe we don't have a convenient kid in our life to bring one or haven't had, you know, an opportunity to experience one of these events firsthand. Can you tell me a little bit about what a typical drag story hour looks like? What do you do? Talk about and how do the kids that you serve usually react to the programs that you're participating in? Yeah. So when I uh, show for story hour, basically at first, we'll kind of just, I like to mingle with the crowd, kind of get the kids comfortable, talk to the families really one-on-one, -on -one, um, introduce myself. And once we have really a big group going, uh, I will typically read anywhere from three to four picture books. And we will, in between each book, we'll do like a movement or a song activity. I personally, I love to ask the kids to wiggle and move their bodies in ways that feel good and are comfortable for them. 
um, because it's a long time for kids to sit and just have them sing a song and dance with me. And then afterwards, after we're done reading the stories, we will often re, um, color and coloring pages together that were created from our Dragtivity book, which was created by Moore Ehrlich and Says Me. We have a coloring book that also details what drag is and has a character called Yellow, uh, Hello Mello that goes and puts himself in drag. So we'll have conversations around that. We'll color together and then we'll open things up for questions and pictures. Um, and in terms of reactions, I've had really only great reactions from the children and parents themselves. Um, when we're reading the stories, we'll often include questions or like, how do you think they're feeling in this moment? Or how do you think this makes them feel? And it really gives me insight and I can see how kind and sweet and empathetic and understanding these kids are. Um, and they'll come up after and love to take pictures with me and we'll dance all together. I've also had a great number of parents come up to me and tell us how important this programming is that we're doing. I've had parents of trans uh, students and trans children come to me and tell me how important it was for this for their child to witness drag story hour and witness trans adults being um, in these positive lights so that was really some of the best part um, parents really love story hour and they'll voluntarily bring their kids and bring them back for these events I've seen repeat parents I they'll say oh I saw you here I saw you there and it's amazing to really see how we have a community growing and we've been even offered feedback from parents saying how engaged their youth was saying how they were grateful for these interactive portions of the events which is even just uh, coloring with the drag performers as their child doesn't usually participate we've had lots of great reactions to this that's so wonderful to hear and we do have one of those parents right here in the studio uh with us desiree anything to add you, you've taken your child to uh, multiple drag story hours. What is it like for you as a parent to experience these events and, and how does your kid usually respond to them? Yeah, so uh, every drag story hour is different because every library and community is different. Um, but I think that it really becomes kind of like a microcosm of the neighborhood that they're in. Um, my favorite drag story hour, even though it was the most brutal in terms of the response, not only by the hate groups such as Guardians of Divinity and the Proud Boys that attended the Drag Story Hour in Jackson Heights, but also the brutal response from the police department. Um, but overcoming all of that hatred, we had 70 people uh, max out the capacity in the room upstairs at the Queens Library, uh, Jackson Heights branch. Um, and we had about 300 people in front. Um, we they're, they were literally turning families away at the door um, because the room was at capacity. So we held a second impromptu story hour that was actually um, run by Bella Noche, who's a, a drag queen from the community, um, outside in front of the library. Um, so what I see when I go to drag story hour is my neighbors, is my community, um, is some incredible art, like a world-class performance. Um not just, you know, Oliver and Flame and local queens, but people like Uhaha Masaki, who um, performed, not uh, translated live a book who, that was written in English into Cantonese 
and like switch between both languages for the whole hour story hour um just really incredible performances um and and just a joyful hour in your life um and it's pretty uh sad that these people come with so much hatred and um you know anger uh but um I really see our community responding um, in force and with love. That's a great way to put it. And we are going to be discussing that Jackson Heights events and some of the other um, community defenses that have occurred around drag story hours in libraries in New York City a little bit later in our show. Um, But before we dig into that, uh, just, you know, again, thinking we're we're here on 99.5 FM, we don't know who's listening. It could be somebody who's very experienced with drag, knows a lot about the community, a lot about the culture, more than myself, certainly. Um, and we could also have people listening to our show tonight who don't know a lot about drag, don't know a lot about its historical importance um, in New York City, especially, and its continuing you know, vibrancy and importance as a, as a scene beyond these programs that are put on in libraries and have sort of become what, what's in the headlines about drag. So before we move on tonight, I just want to give Oliver a chance. If there's anything that you want to say about, you know, drag as an art, drag in New York City, the wider community that goes beyond Drag Story Hour NYC, what do you want people to know about that? Yeah, well, drag in New York City, the drag scene here is explosive it's amazing to watch um all of all of the storytellers are drag performers and um, a part of their own scenes whether locally or nationally and i think that we are do a great job of really showing the and we are working hard now to even fully show and represent that larger drag community because it's very different most drag that is existing exists within nightlife and this can be problematic in a lot of senses because unfortunately queer people and LGBT people in general have been forced into bars and clubs because it was unsafe for a lot of us to be expressing ourselves out of those spaces. So a lot of queer nightlife has been shoved into these spaces which are inaccessible to youth. So Drag Story Hour is really kind of connecting and bridging these communities because we are bringing the art form of drag. Typically in the drag scene, you're going to see drag in the forms of people lip syncing to music and performing with their bodies in clubs or in bars or in restaurants. Um, But as opposed to Story Hour, where we kind of are bringing a similar characterization of ourselves and in terms of costumes and makeup, but we are then telling stories through storybooks and avenues that are more familiar to children and kind of bringing it to their level. So it's more appropriate for them and bringing it to spaces that are safe for them. Um, because, you know, a lot of people want to experience drag, but they can't get into bars and they shouldn't have to. It is also a great way because we have a lot of sober members in our community and a great way to kind of bring the art of drag out of spaces that are surrounded by substances. Um, But we are also working really, really hard right now as an organization to make our organization more inclusive and diverse, especially to performers who are not drag queens, because unfortunately the way 
the culture and conversations around mainstream drag has gone, people only think drag queens existed. Um, <clears throat> it was really honestly humiliating for me when I was seeing all of the, we'll talk about that again soon, the news sources and things around Jackson Heights or anyone talking about the event that happened at Jackson Heights and calling me a drag queen. And it seems like such a minuscule thing, but for me it was a mass misgendering. And also, I am a huge advocate for the for the non-queen community, for, the, for performers who do not identify as drag queens because we have faced a lot of discrimination in this scene. I have been paid way less than other performers that were drag queens because I was a drag king. And this is not just a binary issue. This is, they're drag performers of all make and model. We have drag, we explain this to the kids too, and that's what a big part of our organization is, is showing them it's not just what's on TV. We have drag kings, we have drag queens, we have drag mermaids, uh, we have drag fairies, we have drag monsters, it's all of the above. Um, so we're working really hard as an organization right now to shift the narrative around this because it's really harmful in the ways a lot of mainstream uh, television competitions have been made exclude huge parts of our community. So we try to bring in uh, this microcosm of our own community within these spaces. So we're working really, really hard to do that. And that's one thing that I really appreci appreciate about uh, DSH's organization um, is the way that they have you know, people of color, non-binary people leading uh, a lot of the organizing, a lot of the performers. Um, and I think that that just has to keep getting expanded because our children deserve to meet a wide range of performers and artists and hear their stories. Absolutely. There's something so, as you've alluded to a couple of times already, Oliver, so joyful, so creative, so vibrant about what you're describing. I love the idea of, you know, a drag monster, or a drag mermaid. And it, it feels like it's such a natural fit with children and the way they approach the world and um, their sort of open-minded empathy. Um, I think it was you who used that word. Um, and it's really beautiful to think of, to me, it's beautiful to think of kids being exposed to these things young and in a community setting like a library. And, you know, that's one thing that Desiree and I were chatting about as we were putting this show together is also thinking about the role of libraries in this whole question and how libraries are such an important community space that have been forced to take on more and more responsibilities in our age of um, budget austerity and in our age that would rather be paying overtime to the NYPD than funding libraries and public pools and, and public parks. Libraries have really become spaces where people can go to use a computer, say, to do a job application or a housing application, can go just to get out of the rain, to use a bathroom, um, you know, and even to check out a book, right, and expose themselves to things that they might not usually um, get exposed to. So I also think it's a really cool extension of the way libraries function in the community, but also a sad testament to how our public spaces and our social spaces have really shrunk there's so much pressure on them now, and there's so much um, opportunity for these public spaces to come under attack, which is what we've seen recently. But I really see these recent attacks as just kind of a further extension of a long onslaught on not only queer and gay life, but also public programs and social programs that allow 
queer and gay and artistic and life on the margins to really thrive. Um, this is the regular show of the Democratic Socialists of America in New York City. So on a regular week, you might tune in and hear us talking about tenants' rights, labor rights, um, environmental activism. And I think it's also really important to point out that all of those things also affect the queer community, tenants, workers, people who live on this planet, right? People who have needs and bodies, and these are not separate at all. So social programs are something that, you know, um, I feel like I've made my point. So I'll step back now and um, Oliver, Desiree, anything to add before we move on? Yeah, Oliver, if you can just speak to some of those barriers. I mean, Amy, as you alluded to in the mayor's preliminary budget for 2024, he's already cut uh, funding to libraries and increased funding for the police. Um, so Oliver if, you, Oliver, if you can talk about how some of these changes um, impact your art making or become challenges to you producing art. Yeah, well, in general, like, you can even look at it from a kind of a roots kind of perspective. Not only is it affecting my art, it's affecting anyone who utilizes libraries. It is it affects the the five year old artists who are who are blooming and growing um, because the library can't afford markers anymore. It's affecting students who are who are reading books and learning about the kind of artists that they can become or the kind of art that they can use to express themselves and even with us it gives it limits our availability to come into these libraries it limits and that kind of can trickle into the rest of the art world it can go all the way up to like then people having less funds and having less access to grants to produce their shows and to produce nightlife um and it's really it goes from all the way it really affects everyone um and particularly with libraries it's also i let's say for a given story hour i'd say the average is 15 students i've had i've had as little as uh two or three and i've had as many as hundreds um and if I didn't have the chance or the funding to go into those libraries, that's hundreds of students who don't get to hear how they can use drag as an art form for themselves. One of my favorite things to express at a drag story hour is that drag is for everyone. We all have the right and should have the right to express ourselves through fashion and clothes and makeup and style. Um, I think it's a human experience to want to dress up and feel connected to a character um that's why literally there is halloween but you know i just think it limits i think of the hundreds of kids that i that have come up to me and thanked me for giving them a story hour and taking a picture with me and what if i wasn't able to go into those libraries and that's really limiting a lot of people's understanding of what art was i remember when i first learned what a drag king was and I thought wow I can do that 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 can be for me like I can create art like that and it really opened up a whole world and then a career for me and so I want to be able to spread that message more and when budgets are cut it's not going to get spread it's a great word that you use there uh limiting because I think a lot of what 
the rights assault on both libraries and more specifically drag story hours within libraries is really about limiting and imposing limits on what you're allowed to do, what you're allowed to do with your own body, with your own gender identity, with your own child, the type of activities that a parent can choose to take their child to freely. Um, and we'll we'll dig into that in just a moment. But I also just want to say, you know, in terms of, you know, putting barriers up to the production of art, I'd say one of the main ones is not having a stable housing um, or a stable place to go while you live your life as a as a creative person. So, um, you know, as we think about the history of drag in New York City, specifically thinking about the way that this city used to be able to welcome people who were different, who had left their place of origin and come here to find somewhere that was more welcoming to their mode of expression. That was partially because rent was cheap, food was affordable, nightlife was affordable. Those were the conditions that led to great creative flowering here in the city. And I do wonder, and I'm not the only one who worries about this, you know, what the restrictions on our ability to live comfortably here in the city due to lack of tenant protections and worker protections are going to do to the making of art going forward. So folks, you're listening to Revolutions Per Minute live on WBAI. I'm Amy Wilson. I'm here in the studio tonight with Desiree and Oliver. We're discussing Drag Story Hour and community defense. We will be opening our phone lines in about 15 minutes. So please get your respectful comments or questions ready uh, to join the conversation as we near the end of the show. And before we go back to our live guests in the studio tonight, just want to uh, give you a chance to join the conversation in a different way by supporting WBAI, uh, making a small donation um, in honor of the types of creators that you're able to hear here on WBAI for free. Um, like our engineer in the studio, Reggie, was saying at the top of the show, this is a free resource that anybody can access as long as they have a radio nearby, switch it on and hear stories of worker organizing, queer organizing, eco-socialist organizing, all day long here on a radio station that's broadcasting freely to New York and the tri-state area. I think that's pretty cool. If you agree with me, uh, just go ahead, pick up your phone, call 212-209-2950. That's 212-209-2950. Or you can go to WBAI.org. Uh, as you know, if you're a regular listener of WBAI, this is a listener-supported station. It's part of what gives us our intellectual freedom um, and license to cover the types of stories that we feel are really important to everyday New Yorkers, whether or not they're of interest to corporate foundations and advertisers that want to support that type of content. It's really important. Um, I think any artist or creator knows um, that money comes with strings attached. And sometimes you're asked to do things for money that you don't particularly feel comfortable with or don't feel is right. Here on WBAI, the strings are from us to you, the listeners. You're holding the strings. Um, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of voices. And it's a really powerful way to remove kind of the consolidation from the right wing media that's kind of creeping into all of our everyday lives is to move to models of things that are funded by the community, funded by supporters, bringing people together. And having just a lot of people chip in a little bit goes a long way. We do have rent at the WBAI studio. Uh, we have other expenses associated with running a community radio station. So please, uh, if you feel moved, if you're able to, times are tight, but if you've got a couple extra bucks tonight, 
Call it in 212-209-2950. That's 212-209-2950 or go to WBAI.org. And to all of our WBAI donors and supporters listening already in the audience tonight, just want to let you know we appreciate you. Thank you so much for your support. Thanks for tuning in and thanks for continuing to listen. So going back to our live guests here, uh, Oliver and Desiree, um, we've talked a little bit about it already this show. People might have seen the headlines recently um, about Drag Story Hour NYC. There's been a series of right-wing counter-protests, including at that event in Jackson Heights in late December. And there's also been community defense events in response to that. So can you talk to us a little bit about how that's affected your work at Drag Story Hour NYC? Has it changed? Um, if so, how? And is there anything else that you want the public to know about what's been going on recently? So yes and no, it has changed in that uh, DSH NYC, where we have pivoted all of our programming to ensure safety at all events. That's our main priority. And we're really building up our security and really working hard to ensure the safety of all participants and storytellers and facilitators on site. <clears throat> We've also been working closer with libraries um, and other community, like community organization, uh, organiza uh, community orgs to just improve our communication. Um, but it really hasn't changed in that we're still doing what we do. We, I still come in, I still uh, put on a, a face that takes me two hours to do. I do my hair, I go in, we read stories, we have a good time, we dance and we listen to music, uh, despite what's going on. Because, you know, we can't stop doing what we're doing. The work that we do is really, really important and we can see the impact that it has. Um, so we really just, it's scary. It's um, traumatic that we have to go through these things and it's hard, but I really think that story hour is a worthy cause for it. Um, so really we have just been working on strengthening our organization. We've been doing trainings <clears throat> and working with our local orgs to just kind of build up our defense systems. But um, otherwise, we're kind of really just doing the same thing. Um, something that I guess I like to personally ask people because, you know, when we are, I've had three story of three of my personal story hours that were protested where I was the reader. And at this point, I'm used to it. But when we're inside, we can we can hear the screaming um, and the kids can hear the screaming. And something that we've been asking of our defenders is to fill the air with joy, to sing and play music um, and show your support in those kind of ways, because it's really explicit. Um, and this worked beautifully at the at the last Jackson at the Jackson Heights event at the at the end of December, um, because we were inside. Like Desiree said, we had over 70 people in there. That room was packed. It was joyful. The energy in there was beautiful. Um, and it really was just a solid reminder because I could hear the Disney songs playing outside and it was really just a reminder of the support and strong community that we have and how important it was because I could see the the light shining from these kids and how excited they were 
even though they were kind of confused about what was going on, but they still knew that they were in a safe space within the story hour. And it really was just a solid reminder that the work we're doing is really important. Absolutely. And I, I happened to be at that Jackson Heights event as well. And I recall well the the feeling of joy, the rainbow unicorn comrade out there dancing and um, the way that, you know, the, the community defenders were able to show in large numbers um, and really overpower um, the, count, the protesters on the other side. Um, even just walking down the street, coming up to the event, I could clearly tell, you know, which was my side with the rainbow flags, the trans flags, the sense of joy, the energy, it, it was it was all there. Desiree, um, what do you have to add to that? You know, as an organizer um, and as a parent, what's been your experience of conducting these uh, community defense events? Yeah, so, you know, Jackson Heights was really the most, the largest drag story hour recently in New York City. Um, you know, on both sides. And, you know, last week at uh, 59th Street with Yuha Hormosaki, who's a drag queen, um, there were actually no aunties, um, <laughs> which was really refreshing because it was just a bunch of us outside, like, having a nice time. Um, <laughs> but, you know, as a, as a queer community member, I think that, you know, I, I want to give very little airtime to you know, the violence that we're facing, um, because it's clear that a lot of these groups do it for attention. Um, but I think what's, you know, really important is to recognize that the library is a safe space. Um, the defenders provide um, mutual aid and make it so that families, parents, you can come to these events and, and you know, we will fight to keep you safe from not just unfortunately proud boys um but also the police um who were quite violent to a lot of the defenders they arrested um one of the defenders none of the proud boys got arrested at jackson heights but one of the defenders did um and you know while that's expected uh from the state it is still really hard to grapple with and really hard to um witness as a queer person and yeah continue to live their own experience yeah um, absolutely that was one of the hardest parts of that day um later on i saw tiktoks going viral of the new york city police department allowing proud boys and nazis to freely go through the subway for free while then denying people trying to then use the door as well um which is just sick when you think about how many people face the persecution because of the subway laws. Um, and when we were exiting, we were supposed to be escorted by two police officers who were assigned to us. And they did not have any care for our safety. And instead, they trailed behind. And the only reason we got to our, uh, our car safely was because of the works and acts of fellow story hour members who we got us there safely um and the police just kind of trailed behind they were walking so slow behind us that I accidentally hit one of them with my suitcase um full of my clothes because I was trying to get to our de destination safely um but really doing these events has just solidified how we as a community we keep each other safe 
um, and working with these mutual organi- these mutual aid organizations has really just shown us how we as a community, we defend ourselves and we keep ourselves safe. Absolutely. And I, I do want to thank you both for bringing that up and, and bringing up the double threat there that it's not only the people who are protesting these story hours, but also the people who are being paid millions upon millions of taxpayer dollars that maybe could be going to libraries to, quote, keep these events safe, um, but how they're really failing in their their duty to do so. And as you say, Desiree, it's not a surprise. Um, we're longtime protesters here on Revolutions Per Minute, and we know um, who the cops protect. It is fascist state and the interests of capital. It is not the people. It is not free speech. And it certainly is not the queer community. As we know, there's a long history there with the NYPD brutally repressing queer expression and and queer liberation, including some examples relatively recently. But that's not the focus of tonight's show, really. The focus of tonight's show is what we do to mobilize, what we do to fight back, the power that's found in that and the beauty that's found in that. So if you're listening out there tonight, I ask you to keep that in mind. If you're going to give us a call, uh, the number here is 212-209-2877. We are going to go ahead and open up our phone lines here in the WBAI studio. The number is 212-209-2877. I'm live here with Oliver, a drag artist and Drag Story Hour NYC performer, and Desiree, a parent and a community defender and supporter of Drag Story Hours give us a call. It's 212-209-2877. While we wait to see if anybody is going to be calling in tonight, um, let's uh, let's hear from you both again. Um, what's one thing that you want the listening audience tonight to know about Drag Story Hour NYC? If they're going to take away one thing, what would you want that one thing to be? Um, I would say that we we're an educational organization and i think a lot of people forget that we are there to spread literacy and to share stories with children drag is a storytelling art we we use numbers and music in clubs to express and tell our stories and we use storybooks and music and movement to express our stories in libraries and schools um and just really we are really just about centering joy and freedom of expression and I'd also just recommend that you come to a story hour. If you're curious on what's going on, um, tell the families in your life. Tell the children in your life. This is not just for queer families. These are for all families. And we really just want to uh, bring these kind of joyful actions within our community. And they're just a fun time. They're just fun community events to do on a, on a Sunday morning or something. Um, but also, I would like to say that the security changes that we have made to our events have been really made possible by a multitude of partners, but most importantly, the community-based response teams who have brought color, fun, chalk and drawing opportunities and information and songs to the spaces that we storytell within. And we are really deeply grateful for the community support that we've received through all of this. At every program that we put on, that is protested, we have far more supporters present than protesters. And we continue to have that shown. Like Desiree said, we had uh, a reading with a bunch of supporters and no protesters. Um, So we are really, we've been humbled by the outpouring of support that we've continued to receive. I just want to thank everyone 
for that continued support and just yeah check out check out your local library whether there's a story hour or not um and just have fun with us it's a it's a it's a fun time that's really what we're doing and we really just want to bring it back to those joyful roots oh what could be more lovely than a, a visit to your local library support that local library for sure um, we do have uh, some live callers here into the studio, so let's hear our first one tonight. Good evening. Is it me? Yes, it's you. You're live with Revolutions Per Minute. What do you have okay. to say? Okay, thank you. I, I just wanted to clarify the purpose of the Drag Story Hour. Is it to lessen hostility toward the gay community or to remove the drag art form from the shadows or both? Thank you for the question. Um, Oliver, um, did, were you able to hear the caller and do you have a response to their question? Um, I just couldn't hear the first part of the question. Could you? Just the first question, part was, is the purpose of the uh, story hour to lessen hostility or to eliminate hostility toward the gay community, or is it to bring this art form out of the shadows, or both? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think, honestly, these are more kind of just side effects of what we're doing. I really think the purpose of Story Hour is to kind of create connections from the queer community and our art forms and bring those out of places. Cause like I said earlier, unfortunately we're really, a lot of the only safe spaces we have are bars and clubs. So it's really to kind of, yeah, I guess bring it out of the shadows and make this art form more accessible to people. Um, and really also to just show people that they can express themselves how they want. So it's definitely a little bit of both. And as you said earlier, Oliver, you know, the intention of the program in the New York Public Library is literacy. Um, so it is activities, it is coloring, and, you know, obviously, because I'm a queer parent, I just happen to have this experience uh, that's different. But it's a space where all parents, all caregivers, all children are welcome to come and be in community with their neighbors. Thank you so much and for calling in. Drink. I do see that we've got a... A uh, couple of other calls on the line, so let's see if we can hear from more voices tonight. Let's get our what next call on here. I'm sorry? Good evening. Hello, you're live with Revolutions Per Minute. What do you have to say? Good evening. My question would be, the people that Adams, the mayor, appointed as representatives to represent the gay and queer community, have you had any interactions with them since they were anti-gay and anti-lesbian people? Never met her. <laughs> if Eric Adams hired somebody, I mean, I can't speak for all the gays. None of us can. But I've never met her. I, I personally all have not. I personally have not interacted with these people either. Not that I know of. Not that I'm aware of. Thanks so much for calling in. Um, sounds like we might have at least one more call on the line, and we've got a couple minutes left in the show. If you want to sneak it in, 212-209-2877. Do we have anybody else to put on live? Yes, you have. My name is Diana Hi, Montford. I'm trans. I do the Diana Montford Show on cable television, public access, and the Diana Montford Show podcast on Blog Talk Radio. And I just want to say, 
but I have total respect for the bravery of the drag artists who uh, braved the crowds of truly virulent haters to do their shows to expose children to the wonderful art of drag. And I also want to offer words of praise to City Council Member Eric Botcher, who, in spite of having people get in his face and insult him and ask him outrageous questions such as, are you a child molester? He is not. Uh, that he bears it with such dignity and self-control. I mean, this is such a powder keg issue. This is not unlike the Stonewall Rebellion. Uh, I know that sounds odd, but really, I mean, uh, queer people have a right to be queer. We've always existed. We always will exist. And the fascist police force, the fascist politicians, the fascist untutored haters out there cannot and will not stop us. Wow, thank you so much, Diana. (laughs) So glad to hear you on the radio uh, tonight, and thank you so much for calling in. Um, I think the phrase was fascist, untutored haters, which I'd love to let kind of be the last word, if you will, on tonight's show. Um, But before we close, Oliver, I just want to give you a chance to respond to Diana's call if there's anything that you have to say uh, back to her, and also let our audience know as we're coming to the end of um, tonight's show how they can um, keep in touch with Drag Story Hour and find out when events are going to be and how they can continue to support your work. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for calling and your very sweet words. Um, and it's like you said, it's it, it's not much unlike the Stonewall Rebellion, which I think is really interesting that you bring up because one of the storybooks that I really love to read is called The Night Before Pride, which details in a family-friendly way the story of Stonewall and what happened. And it's kind of a miraculous kind of mirror reading that story in a story hour when a similar revolution is happening outside and having these kids be able to then understand these repetition in history and this repetition of hate that is received. And I've only seen the children and the students and the families meet it with so much love, which has been just beautiful to watch. And I think us as queer people are so resilient um, in that. So it's really beautiful to see. Um, But yeah, I guess you can really just come out and support us. Um, You can follow us on Instagram at Drag Story Hour NYC. I believe it is. I think it's DSH NYC. and uh, you can find us on there. Let me double check that so it's accurate. Um, it's Drag Story Hour NYC on Instagram, and that is where we will post some of our events. We also, um, I believe, have a Facebook where you can check that out as well. But otherwise, you can support us by donating to us, coming to our fundraiser, spreading the word, telling families that you know to bring their children, telling your local schools um, that you think it'd be a great idea. We, we go and we visit classrooms as well. Um, and even checking out your local drag scenes as well, going to your local nightlife, going to a story hour, and then you'll really be able to see that kind of difference. And just supporting our local drag scenes is really important. But you guys your support for story hour is really well we feel it we it's so warm to us and we really feel it and we're really grateful but yeah just check us out on instagram 
and uh, our website, which is uh, dshnyc.org, I believe. Um, let me double check that. But yeah, your your endless support is really amazing and really supporting your libraries. Yeah, so that's DS, dshnyc.org. Go to your local libraries. Tell them that you want a story hour to come. Tell them that you appreciate them for having story hours um, because we're not receiving that kind of feedback all the time. So it's really important for people who support us to communicate that. Um, but thank you guys so, so much. Thanks for having me on. I, my call is for parents, caregivers, everyone to come out to drag story hours. If you know you can come out and defend on the street, that'd be great too. And also, I looked up the LGBTQ appointee. I can't, literally can't find her, but the highest ranking LGBTQ appointee in Eric Adams' administration is the Department of Probation Commissioner, Anna Bermudez. So Anna Bermudez stopped working for the state uh, in an organization that literally oppresses people of color. Um, you're not helping the queer community. Yeah. That's the end of tonight's show. You've been listening to Revolutions for Minute on listener-sponsored WVAI in New York City, broadcasting at 99.5 FM, streaming on your favorite podcast app. You can connect with us after the show, get more information about our guests or anything we spoke about tonight by emailing us at revolutionsnyc at gmail.com. You can also find us and our past episodes on our website, revolutionsperminute.simplecast.com or on Twitter at NYCRPM. We're off next week. We'll be back in February with an update from how you can support uh, a very exciting campaign to increase worker protections for all workers in New York City, not just those who are currently in a union. So really looking forward to that show in two weeks. We hope to see you there. I'm Amy Wilson. Pleasure being with you as always. Solidarity forever and good night. <laughs> <laughs>